you might be looking through a book of pictures, or walking through a museum where they got photographs of people picking cotton back in the 1940s. Your eye might be drawn to a photo of a family out in the fields. There's a father with his big old sack filled with cotton. There's a woman next to him, maybe his wife, maybe his sister. And next to them is a boy, maybe nine years old. He got him a flower sack. That's all he can manage. After all, it's his first day picking. That little boy could be me. I started picking at about that age. I stood next to my daddy who showed me how to do the job right. Depending where you're coming from, you could feel sorry for that little boy, thinking he's being misused. You could feel he's too young to work like that. You could decide that the world he was born into, the world of sharecropping, was cruel and unfair, and you wouldn't be entirely wrong. Except that if that boy was me, and you were able to get inside my little head, you'd find that I was happy being out there with my daddy, doing the work that the big people did. I wanted to be grown and help my family any way I could. Didn't know anything else except the land and the sky and the seasons and the fruits and the fish and the horses and the cows and the pigs and the pecans and the birds and the moss and the white cotton that we prayed came up plentiful enough to give us enough money to make it through winter. I saw the world through the eyes of my mama and daddy. Their eyes were looking at the earth. The earth had to yield. If it did, we ate. If it didn't, we scrambled. Because we didn't have no electricity, not for the first twelve years of my life, we were cut off from what was happening outside our little spot in Louisiana called Letsworth. I didn't know it at the time, but we were living and farming like people lived and farmed a hundred years before. When I got my little flower sack and went out in the field, I was doing something my people have been doing ever since we were herded up like cattle in Africa, sent out on slave boats, and forced to work the land of the southern states of America. That fact, though, was something that came into my mind when I was an adult, playing my music in Senegal. Someone brought me to the point of no return, one of the places where slaves were sent off to make their terrible Atlantic crossing. Maybe that's where the blues began. But to me, nine-year-old George Buddy Guy, son of Sam and Isabel Guy, born July 30, 1936, black history was not part of the elementary schooling I got at the True Vine Baptist Church. That's where I was taught to use utensils and read little books about white children called Dick and Jane. Black people weren't in those books. Blacks weren't part of history. All we knew was the present time. We knew today, and today meant shuck the corn and feed the pig and go to school in the evenings after our chores were done. I had fears, snakes and lightning, and ghosts who were said to haunt the graveyards. But I had something bigger than those fears, a feeling of family. Back then, family feeling was stronger than it is today. If you had a righteous mom and dad like I did, they could make you feel that no matter what, everything was all right.
if you had two older sisters like mine, Anna Mae and Fanny, and two younger brothers, Philip and Sam, who always had your back. You felt protected. We lived in a wooden shack built up on pillars. We didn't have no indoor plumbing. When it was blistering hot and we wanted to escape the heat, we'd go under the cabin where the dirt was cool. The inside was just a couple rooms and a wood-burning stove. No running water. We pumped the water into a number three tub for our weekly baths. We also used those tubs to soak the pecans we picked so that when we sold them by the pound, they weighed a little more. I didn't know about glass windows. Our windows were made of wood. When it rained, we shut the windows, and if it was summertime, we sweated bullets.